the garden help you need. From three of the top experts in the Mid-South, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990 with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, Mid-South Gardeners. Good morning and welcome on this wonderful, wonderful morning. It's fantastic. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim, for being back today. Thank you for welcoming me back. You're welcome. Jim, we, we missed, missed, you missed you last weekend, buddy. Yeah. We did. Glad you're feeling better. Thank I you, hope. thank you. Are yeah. you feeling better? I am feeling better. I'm still uh, carrying my little buddy here, hoping one of these days. <laughs> one of these It days. will see the light and <laughs> move towards <laughs> it. And the little buddy, I guess, is a kidney stone, right? That's right. <laughs> Good Lord. What about that drive-in this morning? I tell you what, fantastic light show. That's what I say, you know. It, it was so bright, the lightning was so bright, the car lights were wanting to turn off. Isn't that crazy? I mean, how I many yesterday, you know, they say, of course, if you live in Memphis long enough, you'll get to appreciate the weather. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like the weather today, give it 30 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Yesterday was the prettiest day this year. Beautiful. People were going crazy. I mean, like it was mm-hmm. springtime. Of course, now we do have some cool weather coming in next I week. We'll talk about that, that later yeah. on. But I man. warned y'all. I did. Exactly. I warned y'all. I, w- I was thinking the same. I had a real good friend of mine, Jan Gwynn, came into the garden center yesterday. In fact, Jan has been up here in the studio right. before. Yeah. Just great guy. And um, we were talking, he was buying some um, some wave petunias, you know, to put in some pots to put on mm-hmm. a hay rack because Easter's so early this year. Yeah. People want to do something for right. Easter, right? And he said, Kenny, what's your uh, plant insurance? He said, can I take some out? Because he knew cold weather was coming mm-hmm. also. Or cooler temperatures, I should say. Yeah. And I said, my insurance says, I will insure you that I will sell you more. Right. And these don't make it. <laughs> he just started dying. There is yeah. nothing, nothing we like better than to sell you two or three. Yeah. Right. right. And, and, but I was looking at the weather last night, and I... It, uh, the lowest I saw was a 38. Now, of mm-hmm. course, that could change. And, and that's probably real, real good in the city, but outside... I think we're going to see some lower temperatures, mm-hmm. and we could very well see a frost. Yeah, so. and but I'm thinking about here in the city, yeah. you know, where you know all as the long buildings, as it's, it's, you know, lines. waves are tough. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. as long as you don't get actual frost on them, but even then, they'd likely recover. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's so much still. Yeah. You know, you can add herbs, not basil. But you could add some herbs with your color. And the million bells, too, are gorgeous, gorgeous. So you can throw some of those in there as well. Well, I've been telling people, I mean, if you, you know, have a lot of stuff planted, I mean, there's frost cloth you can buy Mm -hmm. to throw over it. Mm -hmm. That'll help protect it, you know, the frost from getting on the foliage. I mean, if they're in containers, you can always move the containers, you know, to to the garage or wherever. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't, I mean, it always happens every year, but I I don't see it. You know, if it stays around 38, 37, 38, I'm really not that even that concerned about yeah. it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm just thinking if there was coleus and basil, and those maybe, are the ones. Maybe potato vines. Potato little, vines. You know, oh, yeah. yeah. No zinnias. No mm, they'll, they'll get zapped. So, I mean, just kind of keep that in mind, you know, as you're planning your, you know, your Easter decorations, yeah. right? And I shouldn't even say your spring decorations. It's so early, it seems, to do the <clears throat> Easter stuff. So, uh I well, mean, it's Easter's next weekend, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Easter's next weekend. Wow. Well, I need to get um, the Easter baskets ready at the nursery. But it is kind of, <laughs> you know, it feels good to walk out of the garden center and see all of that color. No, it does. Out there. I mean, you know, we know spring is just around the corner. And I've had, I've talked to so many people, guys, where, 
you know, last year with the whole COVID thing, I mean, a lot of people were stuck indoors and they still got outside just to mm-hmm. escape their living room. Um, but it, it's, it, they feel a little freer, I believe, yeah. this year. People just getting out. Yeah, ask the interstate. Yeah. <laughs> <It's bad>. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I really think that, um, I mean, people are almost relieved that, you know, spring is here and, you know, it's, it's just time to get out there and start doing stuff. I, I mean, I don't care if you're out there pulling weeds. Mm-hmm. They're not complaining. No one's complaining about just going outside, getting things done, you know? And I love it, to oh, be yeah. honest with I'm you. I'm thrilled. Now it's time to start bringing the indoor plants, you know, the house plants. You know, if you don't, like a lot of times, I remember mm. my mother, we just get house plants, house plants. It'd be all full through the winter. And then when it warmed up, she took a, because they, you know, they grow outside in shade. So she would take a bunch of house plants outside and then put them in container gardens and all of that so we didn't have so many inside. Well, but it's not a bad thing to do anyway. You know, yeah. you, you know, house plants actually grow better typically outside than they do inside, right? Mm-hmm. It's just an outside plant that we grow indoors right. is really what it is. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, you know, some people go, no, no, I'm scared to move that plant. It's been there for mm-hmm. 20 years. I'm going to leave it exactly where it is. I'm not even going to knock the dust off the yeah. leaves, you know, but... Never hurts to get them all outside, weather permitting. Well, you know how ficus trees are so honorary. Yeah. Well, uh, mother had got one when it was like two feet tall. And over the years, it's moved one time, but it was like eight feet tall and just huge. I'm pruning it every yeah. year in the house. She yeah. puts Christmas lights on it and all. Well, there became a time where uh, it just couldn't be in the house anymore. Guess so big. So I'm like, oh, I hate to do this, but I'm leaving it outside. So, and it's going to be cold and all of that. Did it kill it? No. I cut it all the way back. It still grew. I moved it over here because I just couldn't take it out. It was so big to the trash. And I'm thinking, how does this happen with the ficus tree that drops its leaves if you look at it? But I'm trying to, yeah. to let it go outside. away. No, kept going. Yeah. So. I mean, I got a story kind of like that. My roommate, uh, when, when I was a much younger person, uh, we had a ficus tree, uh, same thing, put Christmas lights on mm-hmm. it, used it for everything. It was our one and only beautiful houseplant, yeah. right? And at this time, it was like six foot tall, multi-trunk, beautiful ficus tree. He still has that tree. In fact, every wow. year he has to custom build uh-huh. a planter for this thing and get a forklift to move it. <laughs> uh, and he's got it at his, uh, his, da- his, his family company building. Okay? Wow. And it, yeah, it, it's huge. You know, and it, it's just... You know, we we become so attached to them. Mm-hmm. That know, we keep them. Yeah, yeah, it's got sentimental value now that, right. you know, you can't just discard the thing, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, so it's like you take cuttings from people's flowers, family members, and root them, and then regrow them. Because, I mean, I've talked to people. This was my great-grandmother's mm. cutting. Mm. I mean, not a lot of people, but every once in a while you get that. And sometimes I think you've got to mix, mix the cuttings up by oh, now. But what, do you, but what do y'all think about taking house? plants out in the spring all of them mm-hmm. wash them down really good clean them up repot if you need to repot mm-hmm. go ahead and start feeding these things and then you can surely take them back inside um but you know i mean i preach that jim i've never done mm-hmm. it i mean i do it to some extent beta but i don't take them all out yeah and clean them I up know. and repot yeah, and, me neither. You know, but the ones that need it of course i do but, but i'm sure you're turning them a quarter of a turn every day when you water them <laughs> that is not happening either <laughs> jim what about your house plants well i've moved out some of the larger ones and mm-hmm. dopey me left them out in sun too long so some oh, of them had some foliage cooked but i'm gonna cut them back anyway so right. I'm gonna put them out. the little pots will go out probably in the next week um, but most of the big stuff's already sitting outside on the driveway. And now do you, but you, you, you take them outside to clean them up. To no, I take them outside so they get watered. 
Right, really good in water. <laughs> do you leave them out all spring in uh, summer, or do you bring them back in? I mean, no, they stay out. They yeah, stay out. The, okay. yeah, we have no uh, permanent residents in the house. Right. <laughs> they move in and out. Yeah. They Kinda move like in kids. and out. I was going to say, isn't that like kids? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or sisters. Oh, I hope she's not listening. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay, so um, so just clean them up, uh, repot if you need to, cut out what's defunct and mm-hmm. you know all that dead tissue. Um, uh, get get a container potting soil, mm-hmm. potting soil for your container. And there's so many different potting soils. Some you might want to add some worm castings to. Some have everything mm-hmm. mixed in. But really, to get a good quality potting soil. Um, that makes less work on you it's usually garden centers that are carrying that because they're gardeners too and they're wanting to make it easier yeah and a good soil actually holds a little moisture believe it or not but at the same time drains does that make any sense but that's good potting soil right there exactly i hear music in the background i think it's time to go for a really quick break give us a call 260-5926 Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Good morning, good morning, and welcome back. Give us a call, Tick. 260-5926. Two six zero five nine two six. We are here. This isn't a rerun. Nope. Two six zero five nine two six. And of course, you can go to Facebook, the Mighty Nine Ninety, and text in uh, any question that you might have. Uh, and of course, you can listen to the podcast, Miss Veda, later on if you missed the show this morning. But two six zero five nine two six is the number to call straight up to the studio. And y'all, you know how I uh, talking to a customer yesterday. And it's always been the dilemma. You know, people plant their pansies and violas and stuff like that in the fall, and they look. They're best, of course, now in the spring. Mm-hmm. And the old dilemma is, well, how long do I wait to yank those things out of the ground? To put the in beautiful my, pansies, yes, yeah. Full-blown, beautiful, vibrant, the whole bit, right? How long do I wait to pull those things up before I put in my spring color? Well, that is that is a dilemma, and of course, that's up to you. But also, I want you to go out there and check your pansies and violas because there's these little bitty bugs out there called aphids, and they have already gone crazy Jim Veda on pansies. Wow. Uh, lady brought in a sample yesterday, and I'm not saying everybody's, but lady brought in a sample yesterday of a, you know, part of a pansy, and it had hundreds and hundreds of aphids, active aphids already on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so what's the deal there? <clears throat> well, a lot of tender growth. New growth. Okay. We've had a winter conducive to insect. We've only had one serious drop in temperature. Well, see, I thought for sure that would knock them things well, back. Well, you know? not a lot. They snuggled okay. in the leaves. Yeah, yeah. they definitely snuggled, yeah. right? What, what we, you know, for to get rid of a significant number of insects, you need several of those rise and falls. Because if it warms up enough that you get hatchings and they get killed and then it happens again, well, then you actually decrease the number going into the season. And that but, hadn't happened. Yeah, it hasn't mm-hmm. happened. So, you know, they, yeah, I'm seeing you know, right now 
it, a huge number of moths at night, which tells me that somewhere there's some caterpillars mm-hmm. <laughs> that are hatching. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I just hadn't found them yet. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I'm going, I see moths, and I'm running over to the uh, vegetables, and I'm going, where, where, where are they? <laughs> so, uh, That's if you're, crazy. you know, everybody's pansies look gorgeous, but then you see some beds where the pansies go, no, I'm not, no. Mm-hmm. And they, if, so if your pansies aren't quite growing well or not, not even growing well, I would suggest amending that area really well with some good compost because that's the problem. Your soil is just too tight. Or too wet. Or One too or the wet, other. Because yeah. I'm telling you, I've got a container in the back that has good drainage and the pansies are absolutely beautiful in it, I'm telling you. I've got another container uh, up on the front stoop and it's a different soil. I'm not going to mention mm-hmm. what kind of soil mm-hmm. it is, but it's a different soil that's in there. You're experimenting. Yeah. No, I, well, I, indirectly I was. <laughs> yeah, like, right. Yeah. That's yeah, what yeah, you like say. Me and, and, and weeds and, in the yard. I'm yeah. experimenting. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Exactly, yeah, Jim. Right. <laughs> and the, um, the pansies that are in that container, they're kind of halfway melted down, uh, you know, a lot of brown foliage. Mm-hmm. I mean, just anemic looking. Just, I mean, not vibrant like the ones in the back. And I promise you, the only difference really is the potting soil. And I know for a fact, because I went out there yesterday afternoon and gently picked that pot up, the front one, yeah. and it weighed a ton. And it's oh. not that big of a pot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's that heavy, quote, potting soil. Yeah. It was potting soil uh, that was in that container. So, of course, it'll have to come out and get, you know, get some good potting soil in right. there like you are talking about a while ago. But it makes a big difference in the type of soil that you use. And, you know, also, if uh, you have a container that's still pretty much full of soil and you've pulled your plants out, it's a really good thing not to just pull the soil back and put the plant in. Just kind of turn the soil back up in the container mm-hmm. because then you start getting soil layers and then the water doesn't mm-hmm. percolate through properly. Well, and I was going to say, and also if you do go out there and check, and, and to me, you know, we're going to be pulling pansies up before too long anyway. Uh, but if you do have aphids on them, you need to take care of the aphids, no doubt about it, because they like to move around, get on other nice bedding mm-hmm. plants that you plant later on. Uh, and most of your just basic insecticides have aphids on the label, whether it's a systemic, whether it's a contact kill. You mean you kill insecticides that have the aphids? They're just on the label. They're on the label. The, the yeah, real you spray, aphids you can spray on the, the label. You can spray you buy the label with, also. The, with the able. Right. With the with aphids the, right with on the them. Able. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, but, so sorry. just a good broad <laughs> spectrum <laughs> uh, insecticide, guys, that has uh, aphids on the label. And the thing with aphids also, in most insects, give it a good spray and, of course, no rain for 24 hours. But you do need to come back in about a week and reapply it. You want to spray at least twice. A lot of people go out there and think they spray just that one time. That would kill the adult aphids, but mm-hmm. you've got egg and larva coming on behind that, and you want to break that cycle. So spraying more than one time is pretty darn yeah, important. Yeah, we used to say three times, about once at every least seven twice. days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least twice. And I'm, I would do for the organic side, uh, neem. And, you know, the thing with neem is it stops their feeding, so they kind of have to starve and then fall off the plant. But some people want to uh, just spray and watch the bugs fall off, just slide right off that plant. Well, neem, triple action, which is neem and pyrethrin, uh, spinosad soap. I, that's my go-to Which now. is yeah. spinosad with insecticidal soap added to it. Those are all really mm-hmm. good products, very broad spectrum as far as the type of insects they control and what you can spray it on. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, neem is like used in toothpaste and in makeup. It's two of them that I recall. But it was had a long list of what neem was used in. Like, because you can have it in a powder. I don't know. Um, 
And then it comes from the uh, neem tree. Yeah. But where's what's where's the neem tree native to? Yeah. But like Africa. Jim was saying, you know, the azaractin that used to be in a lot of the neem, which is oil, neem. Yeah. Uh, they've taken a lot of azaractin out of the product, and and it still is a great product. Don't get me wrong. It's just most of them just don't have that azaractin in so it anymore. So spinosin would be a little bit better and, than. And Jim, why is that one your go-to? You spinosid soap, which is spinosid and insecticidal well, soap. I just use spinosin without the soap. Okay. You know, I'm not a big fan of soap. Just period. It's uh, it doesn't stay in solution well, and that's one of the problems I have with neem. It just mm-hmm. comes out of solution. Mm-hmm. You know, while you're standing there holding the, the sprayer, it's mm-hmm. floating to the top. Yeah. yeah. So you got to really keep it agitated. But spinosa does a real good job. Completely uh, it, organic. It, completely organic. Um, in it, if you spray it late in the evening, by morning, it's dry. It's safe for your pollinators. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, to me, it's just uh, right now an excellent. Uh, organic and very effective in insecticide. And that's good for both sucking type insects and chewing type insects, especially caterpillars and those kind of yeah. things. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that's, it was a bacterium. Right, that, that they was, discovered in the Caribbean uh, by yeah, a in a, in a um, an abandoned barrel. distillery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you think, wow, how does somebody discover something like that? He was, on, he was on vacation. Yeah, and he noticed something was happening in that spot. I don't remember. Yeah, and he collected the only known sample. It's never been found in the wild since. Crazy. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like the neem. How do you discover from a tree that the neem can be used as an as an oil to spray? But I don't understand why they took the most powerful ingredient out of the neem it has to do with the epa regulations Good grief. that i mean this is <clears throat> natural and they're going to do that well yeah. the same thing where liquid it's, seaweed it's guys. very potent uh, yeah. yeah liquid seaweed which is people have used for a thousand years uh you know liquid seaweed has got natural arsenic in it so the epa is deemed that a herbicide mm-hmm Liquid seaweed. I know, okay? but I've sprayed my plants with it for of course 15 you have. years. And in fact, uh, you know, and since it had natural arsenic in it, like so many other things do, uh, nearly were, everything right. you eat. Yeah, they yes, were forced yes. to take uh, the vegetable label off of liquid seaweed. Uh, now, people are still going to use it on their vegetables, of course, because mm-hmm. they've done it forever. Um, but according to the guidelines, they had to take that vegetable label off of the seaweed because there again is deemed a, a herbicide because of the wow. natural arsenic that's in it. That just that just shows I can't even say. Know, but see I that say Jim can say. Th- you know that's <laughs> what, I'm wearing my shirt today that yeah. says a moment of science, please, mm-hmm. because <laughs> that's the kind of thing that runs you um, crazy. People who are administrators do without really thinking about the science. It's organic arsenic. You eat it all the time. In everything that you eat, there's some amount of organic arsenic. It's the inorganic arsenic that makes you end up dying dead on the floor. Right. Okay. <laughs> and that's not in there. And they don't go back and forth changing to I one another. I thought that kind of arsenic just came from when somebody was trying to poison you. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, you know, it's much to do about nothing. Well, know. but not only are they really good organic uh, fertilizers, you know, seaweed just being mm-hmm. one of them. But you were mentioning the the products that we were talking about, the insecticides a while ago, uh, the organic products. Um, insecticides overall, in fact, really product on the shelves overall now are so much safer than they used to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, there used to be some pretty bad stuff yeah. that you could buy just right over, over the right. counter. 
And uh, we actually did sell products that were organic. They just weren't labeled as organic, yeah, too, and, in the past. And, and, but yeah. let me say this, though. I mean, I was talking to a young lady just the other day, and uh, she wanted to spray um, some shrubs, and she actually wanted to even spray her lawn. And uh, she was looking for an organic because she had a pet. And she had the belief that if I spray an organic out there, I can let my pet out anytime I want. And I was explaining, just because it's organic. Does not mean no, it's No, you safe. still want to make sure it's dry before you let anybody buy it on it. I mean, so keep that in mind. Look at the label. And, and I love organic products. Don't get me wrong. They are safer to use. But that doesn't mean you can just let your dog run out there while it's still wet and think it's okay. The Gospel According to Kenneth. We'll be right back. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 260-5926, because we actually are here. Yeah, made it through the rerun. Yeah, man, made it through the rain and lightning and everything. What is the weather today? I know it's going to be wet. Well, I saw it, like, raining all day, but then I've seen the clouds breaking up, and maybe. So it's like I have my shorts, my coat. My pants, my rain gear. Don't know how so, to dress Because I don't know. I'm leave, running out the door going, no, wait, I might need that. Oh, no, wait. So well, that's why you I never know. late. Got to be yeah. prepared. Well, we're still having a lot of people coming to the garden centers, guys, with uh, concerns about their evergreens uh, that mm-hmm. are just toast, you know, after this winter that we had. And for all the right reasons, I mean, you know, so many things out there look absolutely horrible and look dead. And some things are dead. Uh, but it's... You know, for the most part, and we talked about this last weekend, uh, most of the stuff I'm seeing, uh, you know, there's a lot of foliage burn, whether it's azaleas, uh, lower petalums on down the line. But the plants themselves are going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, It seems like the hawthorns, uh, guys, and Jim, I think you might have said something about Mm -hmm. this last weekend. Yeah, we did. uh, Really took uh, the, or Veda, you did, Mm -hmm. uh, took the brunt. Uh, of this cold weather. And I guess, you know, hawthorns were on that northern edge, you know, as far as growing hawthorns in the Mid-South. Anyway, and I I love the hawthorn, but uh, it seems like all the ones that people are bringing me as far as as samples go, you know, you scratch the tissue, Mm -hmm. see if they're green up under there. And I've seen a lot of damage on these hawthorns. Uh, And I've guessed, you know, the best thing you can do is just go out there, give it the old scratch Mm -hmm. test, uh, start at the top and kind of scratch your way down until you find green, cut them off at that level. And see if they'll flush back out, hopefully from the root. But Yeah, and I'm telling everyone, it's going to take forever. Don't wait. <laughs> Just take them out and, and start over. Right. And you're Unless right. If you, you want to wait. Yeah, and if you, you go know. down two inches above the ground, I mean, mm-hmm. you're right. That thing's coming out, and I'm putting something yeah. else in there. I'm not going to sit there and wait 10 years to get a another yeah. shrub just because my root system is still alive. And I am seeing things flushing, so that's good. The lower petalums, I still don't know. They're going to take a little bit of growth. Yeah. I've seen a little bit of growth on them. And I went by my mom's house the other night, and she's got azaleas everywhere. And, of course, mm-hmm. the foliage looked horrible on these azaleas. They still do. But, man, they're starting to bloom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then as soon as they bloom, uh, and not quite as many bloom, but a lot of bloom, of course, they'll flush out that new growth. But my point, though, is is all these shrubs, go ahead and take the opportunity to go ahead and feed them. Um, because on, think about this. A lot of them, they're not replacing some of the foliage. A lot of them are replacing all of the foliage. Mm-hmm. So they need that little extra boost, that little nutrient value 
uh, that the fertilizer can give them. So whether it's a good organic like milorganite, plant tone, holytone, any of those, or like that grower special, that 1266, which is a really good mm-hmm. non-burning, slow-release nursery fertilizer. And some people actually even use both. Uh, go ahead and put a little fertilizer, guys, on these plants to give them that extra boost. Well, that's another good project to take care of, and you can do it now. Yeah, do definitely do that now. Compost around everything. That's a great thing to do. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, so let's go to Tom. Good morning, Tom. You're in Mid-South Garden. Good morning. Hey, Tom. Uh, how you doing? We're doing great, yeah. buddy. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, I, I quit the commercial part and uh, kind of retired and and I knew I wasn't going to be doing a lot of gardening, so I I planted things that wouldn't need a bunch of attention. <laughs> Smart man, yes. And one of them that I'm, uh, I was really surprised, and I, I think uh, you were too when I told you that they survived the winter, was the uh, the purple shamrocks, the uh, uh, Oxalis triangularis. Yeah, yeah. But we, we've been we had nine days mm-hmm. straight. Below freezing, right? And they are coming back through the mulch with a vigor I would have never expected. Oh, they're they're yeah, like they're a clover. Extremely hardy. Yeah, I, I, my my entire <laughs> all of my beds are lined with mm-hmm. them. I've probably planted three or four hundred of them, and now I've got hundreds of feet of them just all ar- edging the beds. The green or the purple, Jim? The, uh, the purple. Yeah. I have a little mm-hmm. patch of green mm-hmm. also, but the purple to me stands out. And this is yeah. like the shamrock. Yeah, and it's. Uh, I mean. You, yeah, they'll take zero degrees like there's nothing to it. They'll come right back well, up. Well, with Tom, I mean, to be that cold for that long, you know, over you know, yeah, over a week. I, I was so surprised the first time they came back, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. now they not only come back, I planted 18 six years ago. Now, do you plant the and plants now, or the little the little bulbs? Well, I, I had them potted. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and uh, uh, this is, well, I had sold quite a few of them and this was just what i had left and right. decided to put in my flower beds and uh they uh, i ran over ran over them with the tiller the next year <laughs> and that that had the effect of making them spread yes yeah just spread all the bulbs <laughs> around and replanted them in different locations <laughs> and, and let me let me tell you about the care that i give them None. Every every <laughs> fall when i rake up my front yard get the leaves up right. i make sure they have a nice coating of, of brown leaves over the top of them mm-hmm. you know a couple of inches and that's all i do and then in the sp- and then in the springtime do you go out there and, and take those leaves off that bed no yeah because no. they've broken down somewhat yeah and see because and i always tell people tom you know leaves are really a good thing okay but yeah. i i love using leaves that are ground up uh, I don't mind using that in my beds, uh, either as a top dressing or even as a mulch. But I've always heard uh, that if you're using whole leaves, and let's say you rake those up in your bed to cover your oxalis and other plants that are in there, it takes a while for those whole leaves to actually break down into good compost, and they hold a lot of moisture. Mm-hmm. You know, So a lot of people like to stay away from using whole leaves as their mulch, if you will, they don't mind doing it in the wintertime, but come springtime, they usually try to get that out. And you're saying you don't do that. I don't. I've, I've done it for decades. And I've never experienced a problem other than you get 
Well, when I was doing it commercially, I would go in the fall and I would pick up the neighborhood leaves. Mm -hmm. If people put them on the curb, I would go get them and I I would uh, bring them to my garden and save them until spring when I planted. And the thing is, I, I, I keep a layer of leaves on the on the soil you know it mm-hmm. stops the weeds from germinating and, right. and uh, once it starts breaking down right. you've got these uh, I think they're called consumers you know everything from microorganisms mm-hmm. to earthworms and mm-hmm. centipedes that consume this stuff mm-hmm. and once you get them in there doing it, it, it it's not a problem uh, yeah. They they break it down and they break it down quick. Yeah, so you've got the whole soil web going on in your soil, which then makes it process the leaves at a proper time instead of letting them just sit on top. Yep. So that's that's, 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 the, that, that's the way to put it. The process. <laughs> yeah, the process. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, and probably putting them over that oxalis too. It can just grow right up through it because they're so in. Intensely hardy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that doesn't mean that you need twelve inches of of wet leaves out there on top of your beds, though, right? Two inches, right? <laughs> yeah, you know. it'd be hard. And another, go ahead. Another thing that uh, that I have done, and I think it's made a difference. You know, the last few years we've really had a problem with Japanese beetles. Mm-hmm. You know, I ain't got nothing against the Japanese, but I hate them beetles. <laughs> They'll eat my roses up. Yes, they will. And what I did is I, I intermixed leeks yeah. with my roses. Yes. And now the, the leeks are coming up, uh, you know, they're they looking pretty. I actually had a man stop and uh, wanted to know how I grew corn in the wintertime. <laughs> and those are leeks out yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess you're saying the leeks kind of act like garlic or onion. Uh, they, they act as a natural retardant or repellent for Japanese beetles in the rose bed, correct? I think it's more like camouflage, you know, like they 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 have a harder time finding the the, the rose because mm-hmm. the the uh, well I call it the odor that, yeah uh, that mm-hmm. uh, the onion or of or, or whatever kind of onion it is right you know, it makes I think it's made a lot of difference. So so it's hiding the smell of a rose basically. <laughs> it, it's confusing yeah. that Japanese right. beetles what it's doing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the thing is the last. The last two years, well, actually, the last three years, I have been, I have been very sick. I had uh, esophageal cancer, and mm. I could not do anything. Mm. I, I had a hard time just walking down the side uh, to the driveway to the the mailbox. Mm. And this, the fact that I planted this stuff where I don't have to take care of it, mm. has made all the difference in the world. And that layer of mulch that I put on it every fall mm. has kept the weeds from being a problem. Well, hey, I always uh, like to garden smart instead of hard. You know what I'm saying? Right. The lazy gardener. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a lazy gardener as well. Well, thanks, Tom, for the call. Great for sharing your information. And we will be right back. Give us a call, 260-5926. to Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Good morning, good morning, and welcome back. Y'all give us a call, 260-5926. 
So we're talking about insecticides and all of that. <clears throat> and so I'm going to get some bats for insecticide. No, you're not. Yeah. You can't because just order a bat. Like... Oh. No. Do I just you, have... you have to make it conducent for the bat to come to well, your place like a bat house, Miss no, Hayden. Well, I have I'm a gonna... bat house up. Hey, Jim's so. got one. Well, here's things that uh, attract bats. Moonflower, Nicotiana. Uh, Cleome. Okay, those are all easy to grow. Yeah, Salvia nemorosa. Mm-hmm. It it and then a uh, spearmint. Those things attract bats. Spearmint. Yeah, spearmint. Traditional species to attract creatures of the night. Uh, and it's a bat garden. So I'm trying to analyze that. Why do bats attract? Why do those flowers attract bats? I I just had to. I stopped reading at that point and fell asleep. Well, but I, I mean, wanted to share the bat I do, thing. And I consider myself pretty lucky. Uh, I live by, you know, a patch of woods. Mm-hmm. And I see, you know, birds of prey, you know, hawks and those kind of things out there all the time. Uh, late in the, in the summer, in the afternoon, late in the day, Jim, the sun's going down. Man, I look up, there's bats up there flying around. Got purple martins everywhere. I mean, so I've got these varmints out there that are, in this case, actually good ones because they eat you know, insects and, you know, all this, the rodents and everything else in between. But you said you had a bat house. Had, depending on where you live, I mm-hmm. mean, I guess if you're in the inner city, I mean, can you, I guess you can still get yeah. bats. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, just got to have a place conducive. And, and when, when I first put it up, I saturated it really good. And you can buy this. It's bat urine. Um, you were kidding. Yeah. And it really smells bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me tell you, it smells bad. Takes forever to get it off your hands, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah. but yeah. In uh, so far though, I've had not had any luck. Now I did. They really suggest you mount it to the to the south side of your house so it gets the winter heat. Uh, but I put mine up on a pole, and I you know, and I may not ever get bats in it. Well, but, but you know that you're not if unless you put one up there, right? right? But it, you know, <clears throat> even so, it makes a good perch for the bluebirds. When right. They right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I kind of got them. Have them, my chair just sunk all the way down. <laughs> I can't concentrate. Yeah, you got to have them, um, like, like you, don't you have to let your bat house kind of compost or de- get old because they don't like the fresh bat houses. I've heard that if the bat, ha- bat houses are older, then they're more likely to hide in those than like a fresh new bat house. Well, hey, it's, it doesn't hurt to have those kind of critters around, you know? Well, you know, I was thinking uh, the flowers that attract the bats, it's probably the insects that are around yeah. those type of flowers. <laughs> yeah, because they're not like a hummingbird. They're not looking for flowers at right, all, you right, know? Right, exactly. They're just trying to eat some bugs out there that are attracted to those flowers in particular, maybe. Yeah, so, but you know, all you have to have is mosquitoes in your yard to attract bats. Not a problem so it's just another title let's do a bat garden a hummingbird garden a kitty cat garden you know uh yeah why can't we just mix them all together (laughs) (laughs) which we do speaking of gardens uh (laughs) you know there's a lot of color uh that you'll be able to find of course this time of year your annual bedding plants and it seems like to me that you know impatience have always been a staple bedding plant you know i mean who hasn't grown impatience mm-hmm. right especially the old-fashioned impatience that grow in lower light well now there are a lot of these hybrids that have been around for quite a while the new guinea impatience and the sun patients um and i've never planted those jim i've sold a ton of them before in veda mm-hmm. what do y'all think about new guinea impatience and sun patients and what's the difference between the two 
Well, some patients <clears throat> will tolerate significantly more sun. Meaning all day sun? Yeah, I've mm-hmm. had them out where they get mm-hmm. eight hours plus. Mm-hmm. You know, and as long as you keep the moisture content up, mm-hmm. they're fine. If you don't, they collapse, look like cooked spinach, and then when you hit them with water, they pump right back up again. Yeah. They, you know, it's amazing how they can recover like that. Cooked spinach, I can see they that. They do. Yes. They do recover quickly. Yeah, very yeah. quickly. So, um, you know, and, and New Guineas will do that too, but they'll recover usually, but they they really don't like, you know. That hot, hot, hot Yeah, it tends to bleach sun. out the foliage and, and make <clears> them not look as attractive, and, and it bleaches out the, the bloom color too. So, you know, if you've got good morning sun mm-hmm. uh, and afternoon shade, then New Guineas are a real possibility. Um, if, but if it's full sun, I had some uh, coral ones I planted mm-hmm. last year. And I love them. Hot sun. Mm-hmm. And they, they made beautiful plants. Just solid flowers all summer long. Yeah. So this is one of those problem-solving uh, plants, you know, where somebody's got one side in the sun, one side in the shade, but they want <coughs> them to match. Yeah. So you could do New Guineas in the shade and some patients right. in the sun, and they still look similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they had that bigger bloom, uh, real pretty mm-hmm. foliage on them. Um, but not to say now, these are hybrid impatience, not the old-fashioned impatience that, that have to be in the shade. That's right. But I'm telling you guys, they. Uh, I think I'm going to do sun patients as a border uh, this year. I've never done it. I've mm-hmm. never even, I mean, I've That's sold, cool. like I said, a million of them. I've just never planted them before. But I, I'm beginning to like those bigger blooms that are on there and those bright colors that are on there. Um, so, hey, Man, don't overlook I, those plants either. The regular impatience are probably my favorite. They have such beautiful colors and the way they mound. But they're another one that you need some good drainage, too. Uh, so, again, just mix a lot of compost in and mix it in with the soil you already have. Oh, no, what do you mean? Say that again. You uh, mean like in containers or in beds? In beds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even in a container, too, you could do that, couldn't you? Mix yeah, it but with you're saying you you're not have. replacing your soil. You're amending yeah, your soil. Yeah, mixing it, yeah, with something that's full of nutrition, not... Not a bag of topsoil. Yeah, and, and, and like in my bed, I, of course, like mostly everybody, you know, you've got shrubs, you know, your bones up against your house. Mm-hmm. And then you can plant pockets of color in these beds, right? Yeah. Well, I don't just dig a hole and sit this thing in that hole. I'm like you. I have to mend that soil, it seems like, every mm-hmm. year. And, uh, I'm using, and I'm using compost. If your soil's really good you can you know dig into it and it's really good then i would add a granule fertilizer like plant tone or flower tone well and see jim i remember seeing mm-hmm. pictures of jim's backyard uh the last couple of years you could see the progress that he was doing i mean all the work that he did mm-hmm. back there and he's got these beautiful walkways and these raised beds and everything but he was bringing in literally tons of soil yeah. to work in these beds and i'm thinking Okay, is this going to work? Because I mean, this is really good soil, but are you amending that soil at all, Jim? Where do a you lot of it is, plants? but you know, a lot of those were uh, for elevated beds, so I was bringing in a soil suitable for that, mm-hmm. and it's got some clay in it already, right? Which is good, you know. yeah. Um, so it's a uh, it's a good, well draining medium. It's got some. It's got compost in it. Uh, it's got a little bit of sand, but it really doesn't help the drainage. It's more for root development. <coughs> Um, and, uh, and it's got, uh, compost. Did I say compost? Mm-mm. Okay. Well, it does. Um, <laughs> and, but it's, it's a good starting mix. And then, you know, when I plant, mm-hmm. I'll often amend that even further yeah. with the, you know, horse bark or something like that. 
Right. It just makes things root faster, and they've got bigger, better roots, and they can handle our summer longer. Our post is the key there. That's right. We're going to run for a minute, but y'all can give us a call, 260-5926. The garden help you need from three of the top experts in the Mid-South. Grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990 with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to have you with us this morning. We are here live. I'm just saying that because the weather was so intense coming in and lightning. Uh, Jamie, the Master Gardener's here. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. So I got a text this morning from Jan, and she said, oh, just a bunch of lightning just hit. It scared the manure out of me. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, Lord. How are you? She has a way with words, doesn't she? She does. I love her text. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we just, I, just, I don't need anything. I just wanted to call and let y'all thank y'all for your help last week and, and getting this uh, spring fling thing, and it's really going well, according to... Uh, I talked to Jenny yesterday, and I talked to Kim, too, and it looked like it's go, really going well, so I, we want to thank y'all for your help with that. Oh, I better hurry up and get on that site and reserve me or get some plants. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Great to hear that. But anyway. Y'all be safe. Thank you. Thanks Jamie, for calling in, Jamie. Thank you, buddy. And it was great having Jamie and Jan and Jenny up here last week. And he was talking about the uh, the auction. Is it not the auction, but the sale? Yeah, uh, the spring fling. Yeah, uh, yeah, for the Memphis area master gardeners, and that's going. Uh, in fact, I've got my notes. Do y'all remember when that was uh, March the twenty fourth? Oh, we're there. Right until <laughs> the thirty first. Oh, we are there, I think aren't that's we? Right. But yeah, I mean, so yeah. Yeah, so we're at the end of March. It seemed like that was forever ago, (laughs) earlier. So, um, photoperiodism. Uh, Say that word again. Watch your mouth. Photoperiodism. I know. I saved this word for you because you weren't here last week. I was like, oh. (laughs) It's how much light and dark a plant needs in 24 hours. And um, you know what's really funny, though? Plants are like people. They run on a 24-hour Cycle, yeah, yeah. I I mean, you know that, but then you don't really think about it. It runs on the same cycle, and uh, then there's photo period, which is how many hours of light a plant receives in 24 hours, Mm -hmm. which is a big difference from how much they need. Right, right. And this was mostly for what I was looking at was for me was learning more about house plants and the amount of light that they needed and don't need and and of course on a lot of plants if the lights on 24 hours they don't do their stuff properly that's right you know i've, I've seen so many uh, dwarf alberta spruces mm-hmm. that are fading because they have a gas light that's on at night oh. and you get just enough light that it shit on that side where that light is it will just shed the needles and die wow. they need that darkness you know, just That's like Poinsettia is used to, but not anymore. Um, they had to have that darkness period. Mm-hmm. It's more of a, in most plants, it's more the length of the darkness yeah, that's yeah. important. And it sounds odd, you know, because in the opposite mm-hmm. the length of the light. But, mm-hmm. you know, you have to have so many hours of darkness for 
things to stimulate chrysanthemums yeah, right. to bring them into bloom. But, I remember but it, when we heard that about chrysanthemums a while back. I but, was surprised. Yeah, but usually what we're concerned about, though, when it comes to houseplants and those kind of things is, all right, how much sun or how much mm-hmm. light does it need? Yeah. Because we know they're going to get nighttime, right? Right. Uh, but you're right. It is important. You get, uh, you know, a beautiful houseplant and you put it out there in full sun in your house in front of that window and it doesn't want to be there, it's going to burn. Mm-hmm. Same thing, you get that house plant that needs a good bit of light, and you stick it over there in the corner by the fireplace where it gets no sun whatsoever, it's still going to grow there, but or, it's never going to be prolific. Right, or you leave it under a light uh, all night, like your like uh, your fluorescent light or your lamp even, and you're just that, that's on all the time, then it's not getting its darkness. No, I mean, it's like us. And we even act differently when we, in the winter than we do in the spring but, uh, because of the amount of light. See, I would think that if you got a plant and you put it in the, the, the right conditions, you know, as far as humidity, moisture, and it seems like you could leave a light on it forever mm-hmm. because it, it's just a plant and a plant wants to grow. Yeah. You know? Uh, and, but, Jim, you're saying, and they, you know, that's not always the case because they need that dark time also. And even, you know, we always mm-hmm. hear about photosynthesis. Yeah. This photosynthesis is typically when the chlorophyll in the leaf is collecting, you know, capturing the sunlight, creating sugars that feeds the plant, right? Well, there's even a nighttime photosynthesis, believe it or not. Um, yeah, yeah, You know, yeah, true. I mean, so I, I guess, you know, I guess we all need some of that darkness uh, to, to be as healthy as you can mm-hmm. be, including the plant uh, world out there. Where's the uh, place that it doesn't get dark for days? Is that Alaska? Oh, yeah. But, Certain yeah, times the of the year. Further is, north, you yeah. Go. Yeah. So what kind of plants grow there that grow get light? Not many. Yeah, Not many. That's what I was thinking, because it's pretty cold Mosses, there. Mosses, <laughs> lichens, those kind of things, you yeah. know? Yeah. So that works out well. But all right, so what about the idea of having grow lights on your houseplants? I mean, a lot of people mm-hmm. do that, but I would say you only do that if you have a houseplant that's growing in a place in your house Mm-hmm. where you don't get enough light for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and almost a grow light in any any area of your house is beneficial unless you're fortunate to get that south window with no trees and all, and then you kind of might sometimes need a sheer well, curtain. But but are <laughs> yeah. you also, are you leaving the grow light on 24-7? No, or? definitely not. In most cases, no. You, you want to put it on some sort of timer, and it varies from plant to plant, obviously. You but, need to do a little research, but... You know, a lot of things you can grow uh, under 23 hours of sunlight, you know, that gives them even an hour is enough darkness for them to get maximum growth. And if you've uh, ever, well, there are a lot of people that grow things like that Mm -hmm. under, I need to get out of this conversation. Right, I was like, okay, wait a minute. But you know, uh, there now are some plants that are growing under 23 hours of light. <laughs> but typically, I'm just saying, I guess my point is, if you have a grow light, and because you want to have enough light for this plant to grow where it typically just naturally doesn't grow because of the mm-hmm. lack of light that's in your house, uh, you can just set it during the day and have it off at night. Yeah. And you're not going to have a problem with that. A no, grow light for us was a 100% improvement on our inventory in the building. Because oh, it was yeah. okay light, you know, but if we wanted them to stay nice and colorful and grow and and look good for retail, we added a whole bunch of grow lights and it's when, awesome. When I got married, I had two Costa Rican bamboo palms, one on mm-hmm. each side of what us, kind? Costa Rican yeah. bamboo palms. And they were six, seven feet tall. Uh, and afterwards, I put them, in, kept them for years, put them in our house, 
mm-hmm. and on each side of a dining room window, but it was heavily shaded. It faced south, but no sun ever yeah. got in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were slightly to the side of them. So at night, I had grow lights I would put on and let them shine up through them mm. at night, and then they went off on a timer So for, and set the lights out of the way. So, you know, give them some extra sunlight to uh, get them through because you know as far as they were mm-hmm. concerned it was dark during the day yeah that's what i was thinking so you're it was in reverse yeah <laughs> now what would happen how do you think they would have grown if you hadn't had a grown light oh they just suffered for years and years you mm-hmm. know like i say no plant wants to die regardless that's right of what course or what we do to, to them that's right yeah. well and uh-huh. here's the other thing i've noticed is um things are beautiful to people that haven't seen exactly how good it can look um, because yeah. they, they, they're loving their landscape and us that goes in as horticulturists go, well, that needs to go cause that's going to suffer and that need, and they're going, no, I like that. And you're going, wow, they, they don't never seen it in its biggest state of how good it can look. And I was like, but if you like it, then beauty is part of it. Yeah. You, you know, know, I see people at, uh certain stores buying plants that are on their last leg yeah you know and but it's got a flower on it and they mm-hmm. think it's pretty and you know and i wouldn't give you 10 cents for the plant right but they right. think it's a you know it's wonderful hey and it's on sale mm-hmm. you know and Why then would i want to give them money for a half dead plant right yeah <laughs> and then they're struggling but then there's people like that really can just take anything like that and plant it and come up with a beautiful garden yeah that's true yeah so anyway we're gonna run to another break and give us a call, 260-5926. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Good morning. Welcome back. You're in Mid-South Gardening. With us, I'm Beta with Palladio. This is Kenneth with Dan West, and Jim has our uh, Facebook page. Mid-South Gardening, gardening in USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. And I, we always have some cool stuff to talk about. Absolutely. And always make it a habit of trying to aggravate one mm-hmm. group of people every day. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'll do a good job of doing. Yeah, we, I did it last night when somebody asked about Will local honey help you with your allergies if you eat it? I would say it'd have to, yes. Well, that's what a lot of people believe, but actually there's absolutely no scientific evidence to back that up. Plus, it's not like... Um, you here, said here, allergies, right? So it's not honey's right. not bad for you. It's just no, it honey, maybe doesn't help you in that you. reason. Yeah, yeah. it just... Antioxidants. It, yeah, the the downside <clears throat> is you know, most of the what causes human allergies are grasses, trees, and weeds. Uh, there's no none of that pollen in, ho, ho, in honey normally. It's all flower pollen. Right. Okay, so and plus, it's not like you're getting a vaccine and your body having antibodies to build up. You're eating this, and it's being destroyed by... What goes on in your stomach? You know the extreme, amino acids do a lot of damage down there. Acids yeah. that are in there. So you know it's it's a nice thought, okay? And and a lot of people swear by it. You know that they've been doing it for ten years and they don't have allergies anymore. But you're just saying there's no scientific nothing proof that's reproducible. That. Yeah, there's there's just nothing there. But so, but other well, than that, the web page is a wonderful place to go. Yeah, get know, information. You know, we got lots of good information. <laughs> um, I did notice that a couple of files are corrupt i need to fix those our gardenia file when i bring it up it's not working for some reason it used to 
So anyway, I'll work on that. Uh, <laughs> it's someday. always, yeah. always something. Well, you yeah. know, I, I always, or sometimes I do, the vinegar, water, and honey. Mm-hmm. Mix that together and drink that every day. Well, mother's it, vinegar. Yeah, it has some soothing, you know, as yeah. far as helping uh, issues that you have right. uh, for helping with coughs and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And it's not, not that it's bad for you in any right, way, right. shape, or form. Gotcha. Uh, it's just... Uh, the science isn't there and the logic isn't there to uh, to think that My, just because you're eating your local honey that you're getting any benefit from it. Okay, so... My local logic was my local logic yeah, was right. that um, you have some. right. This is a good point. <laughs> was that since they're feeding on the flowers that you're allergic to, and then you're eating the honey from the area that you're microdosing and building your way up to immunity. Well, that's what Jim. But an, an you, interesting. But that's what Jim yeah. was saying also, though, that a lot of your allergies are coming from weeds and trees and those kind mm-hmm. of things that bees have no. They're, yeah, they're not paying any yeah, attention right. to them at all. Yeah, yeah if you're agreed. Eating, particularly yeah. if you're eating raw honey that hasn't been filtered, you're mm-hmm. also getting mold spores and a lot of other stuff that may actually be aggravating your your uh, uh, right. That makes sense too. Yeah. Oh, so. I couldn't wait for uh, us to go out. Me and Granddaddy go out to the beehives, mm-hmm. harvest the bees, and then chew on the um, honeycomb. I mean, that was just you like an event. The bees? Yeah, can you harvest <laughs> harvest you the bees? It was kind of like we harvested the honey from the bees. <laughs> it was so fun to well, watch. Well, speaking of bees, I mean, there's this little uh, black little bumblebee thing mm. flying around this time of year. It's got that little yellow dot on his head. <laughs> yeah, uh, what's the deal with that? Bumblebee? That's that little carpenter bee, you know, and we're seeing already hearing lots of reports about them, you know, and they 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 lock all kinds of wood, untreated, treated, finished, just whatever you want to get put out there. And they're the ones that would drill a perfectly round hole like you wouldn't got a, a drill with a bit mm-hmm. and drilled a hole in there. So they're boring a hole in your wood uh-huh. and I guess they're climbing up in there and laying an egg. That's correct. And they <clears throat> and they bring stuff in there for the little larva to feed on. Right? And eventually it comes out back out that hole and goes and right, makes some more. But but I've always heard that untreated wood, you know, they of course they love that. Mm-hmm. But I've always heard, Jim, I could be way wrong, that treated wood and even painted or varnished or stained wood is not as attractive to these carpenter bees as untreated or just natural wood. And that's a true statement, but it's... Even painted wood. Yeah, even painted wood, but it's not a a, a barrier-proof mm. thing for the bees. So they, it, it, if they had to, they could still get through there. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, so what do we do if we have carpenter bees, other than I've heard of people getting tennis rackets and going out mm-hmm. there and, and swiping at them, yeah. right? Well, the main thing is, you know, any exposed wood like that where you know you're tend to have problems. Because it can be a major problem. Yeah, get out there late one evening and and spray it with permethrin and let it dry. And particularly under eaves and stuff like that, you'll get six or eight weeks control, you know. Um, so any it, of the methrin products, whether yeah, it's delta it, methrin, it just it's it works more as a preventative than it does as a killer. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you've got them in there, yeah, you could spray some up in the hole and it'll kill a little bit. Or you can get boric acid dust yeah. or delta methrin yeah, dust. And permethrin has such a great label for pretty much everything else. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, some of the permethrin has has labels for use on dogs for fleas and ticks. Right. Uh, it's for use on yeah. vegetables and herbs and things like that. So it's a good all-purpose synthetic 
pyrethroid. Well, I'm going to tell you, I mean, people that have, you know, swing sets and, and log cabins and, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, and well, I'm telling you, I mean, they can be so destructive. They can. And I've seen wood where, I mean, it's not just one hole that's been drilled in there. I mean, there's hundreds of holes yeah. that have been drilled in there. And you're right. You're saying just one of those uh, synthetic pyrethroids, like, like permethrin, right. uh, just give it, good, give it a good yeah. spray in, wait about 10 days, two weeks. If need be, and if need be, and now, if back, it's exposed to to the weather, yeah, obviously you'd like to do come that, back but and reapply. Yeah, it can last you know, uh, you know several months if yeah. it's not you know if up underneath decks and things like mm-hmm. that where it no sun or rain's getting. To and it. I know we got Gloria, and we we'll get to her in just a second. But let me ask you this: Let's say if you do have exposed wood and the carpenter bees are active now, mm-hmm. and you want to be proactive, do you just go ahead and spray the wood? Yes, uh, and that will help prevent these. Yes. Carpenter bees. Yeah, because well, the wood's going to be treated, and they're going to sense that and leave and go, yeah. go to your neighbor's house, hopefully. Well, what it, don't they, they can bore in deeper into the wood and lay their eggs. Right. So that would be another reason, even if you don't see them, to, uh, some people just clog the holes. But I guess you could also spray, you know, pretty good mm. and let it seep down in there. Because I was thinking, okay, what's the, uh, what, you know, like... With caterpillars, if you or moths, you can do row covers, and that'll be a preventative mm-hmm. to getting the calip- caterpillars. But I don't know how you could be a preventative for a carpenter bee from even even becoming a carpenter bee. Well, you know, that's what we're saying. For, I mean, if, you, if you've had yeah. a problem, go ahead, go ahead and go ahead and spray yes. your wood surfaces. Oh, so like last year, if the carpenter bees were, you knew they were right there, then let's just go ahead and spray. Go ahead Absolutely. and do decks and like you were talking about swing sets, things like that, that they might get into. Then yeah, go ahead and so just spray them. So it just seeps into the wood right. and right. holds it. Right. Yeah, and so the insect. Right. Okay, so that's good because most people, like me, I would go, well, they've been here, so maybe they won't come back. Yeah. And they're different now than mason bees. You know, you can oh, tell the yeah. difference is the abdomen on a, um, a, a carpenter bee is smooth, mm-hmm. uh, whereas a mason bee, they're a little bit smaller, and they, they're fuzzballs. They have fuzz oh, all over them, and they're, they're excellent pollinators. In fact, I just I, I just uh, startled Kenneth here a minute ago when I told him that honeybees weren't that good a pollinator. No, no, I fell out of my chair. I'm yeah. back, I'm back yeah. in it now. And, and it's really true because when they collect pollen, they spit in it and, and store it on their legs in wet mm-hmm. little sacks. So when they go to another flower, almost none of that pollen can get off onto that flower. Whereas a, a, a mason bee is a little fuzzball, and it gets dry pollen all in it. And when uh-huh. it moves from flower to flower, it helps cross-pollinate yeah. those. Now, what about the carpenter Makes bees? Sense. Are they decent pollinators? No, not no. not worth a tea deadly. Because they're I not know. really good. I mean, they the do flowers. some. They do yeah. some, mm-hmm. yeah, but they're not known as a pollinator. Now, in the, in the difference between, say, the carpenter bee that we see out there and the mason bee, you said, mm-hmm. the carpenter bee is the one I see flying around. It looks like a bumblebee with a yellow, yellow spot on it. Right, the and, and the mason bee looks like a little black bumblebee i'll be darned yeah and, and for what i heard now i haven't tried this that the carpenter bee doesn't even really sting you doesn't even does it even have a yeah, stinger the, the, yeah, yeah the, the male does i think yeah but uh, i'm not gonna go up there and grab maybe one the female just, i don't know one of them does but you know they they're not easily angered yeah okay. i just have to say it's probably the female that had a stinger <laughs> <laughs> hey so you could um have carpenter bee houses to try to attract them right Mason bee think? houses. Mason, but to carpenter bee houses don't work. That's hmm. what I was solitary. wondering. Because they're solitary. Mason yeah. bees will each, you know, they'll travel mm-hmm. in there, and and mm-hmm. they they have a really tight 
area within like 100 yards or so of where they pollinate. So they're very active in there. So if if you're really wanting to get pollination Mm -hmm. done on on your flowers so that they may reseed themselves, the mason bees are a good thing to have. Yeah, so let's go get some mason bee houses. That's right. They're pretty and interesting looking as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're going to get to Miss Gloria. And if y'all want to give us a call, or you can even just, uh, when Alan answers the phone, just tell him what you want to know. And Mm -hmm. we'll talk about it. And we'll be right back. To Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Garden. And um, I'm Veda with Palladio, Kenneth with Dan West. Yes, ma'am. Jim and has I'm his Jim. Yeah, and he's Jim. No, Jim and has got the Jim. answer. So <laughs> Facebook page is, and I, I, my brain can't think that long, so... Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, oh, you too. Oh, Mid-South Gardening. Yeah, Mid-South Gardening. Gardening in USDA Zone yeah. 6, 7, and 8. It's a great web page. I'm it is. It's a great Facebook it really page. Is. Let me put it that way. Yeah. And Jim, uh, and Gloria, it. hang on just one more second. Uh, I've, I've read, you know, comments at people, and they'll, they'll post pictures mm-hmm. and they'll ask questions, and then you can go to groups and look at all the files. I mean, I'm telling you, it's, mm-hmm. it's the best gardening Facebook page out there. I'm mm-hmm. just telling you, it's, it's, it really is great. I do <laughs> love it. I wanted to throw one more thing out there, too, because we were talking about bees and all. One thing that was surprising and just amazing to me is how we transport 18-wheelers yeah. full of bees yeah. from one location millions to another location. To millions of them are t- transferred across the country to pollinate the almond crop. Yeah, uh, I mean, when you're talking about a field full of almond trees, they'll have you know, a dozen or so hives at the <clears throat> end of each row and wow. just so they can pollinate every mm-hmm. flower. I mean, it's amazing to yeah, see that. So cool. almonds take lots of water and lots of bees. Yes. So imagine the work and the resources we put into making an almond. Well, the trees put in. Yeah, but. that's, you know, Monrovia Nursery used to have a branch in Azusa, California, mm-hmm. but they closed it because and sold it because the land was more valuable to produce almonds mm-hmm. than it was to produce nursery stock. Wow. So, that's uh, amazing. So amazing. that's what it's done. It's, it's almond production area now. Wow. I can make more money selling almonds, even yeah. with all the resource and work <clears throat> you have to do. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, the nursery industry isn't full of money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you get in I'm, it because you like it, not because you're going to get rich. That's right. Okay, At let's go none to... none of us figured it out. That's right. <laughs> okay. Miss <laughs> Gloria. Good morning, Miss Gloria. You're in the garden. Morning, Kenneth, Jim, and Beta. How good, are you? Good, good morning, Miss Gloria. And we were talking about those carpenter bees, you know, and I'm, I'm sure everybody sees them, you know, and, and it made me think of you with that ramp that y'all had to put out there for Jack. You better keep carpenter bees off of that ramp, Miss Gloria. Okay, I'm just worried about the rain taking them off the ramp. <laughs> yeah, if it floats away, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Right. We can't get out of the house if it's, it's raining. No, I agree with you. I, I'm with you on that. Wow, so do we have some awesome stuff going on yet? It's springtime. Well, you know the Master Gardener's spring plant sale is now, and it's 
going through the 31st, and the plants are going quick. Yeah, people we're, are fired I'm up at this. You, the plants yeah. are going quick. And we're on the So 27th. I'm going to make everything easy for everybody. Yes, we're ma'am. Ready. Okay, they need to go on the website, www.mamgonlinesales.com, and look at the plants. And while they're on there, they need to sign up for Carol Reese's Zoom talk today mm-hmm. at 1 p.m. And that because they have to pre-register for this, that yes. it ha- you have to pre-register. Yeah. And then the live auction today is at 6 p.m. And you have to pre-register for this also. Oh, mercy. I Nothing need to better set my, than an auction. I need to set my alarms on my phone yeah. to okay. make sure. And then if you worry because, you know, you can't, you can't do anything today because, you know, you can't pick up anything, right. don't worry about that because you can order delivery, which <laughs> I did. I ordered delivery because... Jack's not doing really great right now right. at all. Right. And so um, I was worried we wouldn't be able to get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so that uh, delivery's perfect. It's, it costs you $10, okay, but it's worth it. That's an they, average they price will, anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's cheap, yeah. They will, they will come up and put the plants where you want them, okay, and you just have to show your receipt. You know that that you bought your plants, and it is just so convenient. (laughs) And I mean, I ordered my plants, and I got them yesterday. And I mean, you wouldn't believe how big my coleus and my Kimberly fern are. Ooh, make sure that coleus stays inside for the next week. (laughs) Oh, I've got everything inside. I've got it all in trays. And I mean, I have to do things simple now because I can't, I can't pick up anything right. heavy. So I just, I'll just take it out and put it on the ramp for a little bit mm-hmm. when we have sun, and then bring it back until after April fifteenth. Well, what else is going on? And then Jason Reeves is still having his Tuesday talks mm-hmm. at UT Jackson, mm-hmm. and you just Google UT Jackson Garden Talks with Jason and um you know and you can watch what he has this coming Tuesday where he's been previewing a lot of the plants that he's gonna have at the plant sale. But he had an excellent talk on pruning that was good. And you can go back and look at those back talks. Oh good. Mm-hmm. Good, good. And I'm then wondering. once you start listening to the talks, um well I got I got a top fan um badge because i listen to all of them <laughs> It'll, he, any one of his talks and he doesn't do them all on tuesdays yeah. he can pop up any day of the week and say there's a talk with jason in the garden now and yeah. you love it. click on it and, and, you he, get and i love the thirst for information yeah. you know and glorious mm-hmm. tapping into that and i mean we all learn something every time we listen to something like that mm-hmm. but i'm just trying to make everything easy for everybody and I hope everybody's begot the shots. Yeah. 
All right. Thanks, Miss Gloria, Thanks, for Gloria. doing that, making it easy for us. Lots and lots of good information. Thanks, Gloria. We love you, baby. Uh, that's good. I mean, and, and think about it. I mean, people can even order their groceries now, drive mm-hmm. up there, and they'll put them in the back of your car. Well, we can do the same thing with nursery stock. You know, I hear you can order margaritas. Yeah, I'm too, sure you can order anything and have it delivered these days. Isn't, I like that. Right, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean by that, Jim? Wow, amazing. So, um, yeah. anyway, we've got a few minutes till break. And I just lost my train of thought because I went to margaritas. <laughs> well, let's, and, and, and we've talked about this before, too. I mean, this is early spring. Um, and, of course, we'll be out there in our yard uh, you know, much more than we have been in the last, you know, couple of months. Um, Jim, one thing that invaded, we're seeing a lot of, of course, are, are, are weeds. And I know we talk about this, but I have people ask me every day about this in the garden center. Uh, typically, you know, if you have a Bermuda or Zoysia lawn uh, and you're using a granulated pre-emergent uh, every year, uh, one, you're not going to have near as many weeds uh, this time of year, let's say if you wasn't using one, Okay. But let's say if you do have uh, purple blooming dead nettle or henbit or chickweed or clover, any of these broadleaf weeds just going crazy. And I've seen yards full of broadleaf mm-hmm. weeds. Uh, typically, you can go out there and spray a broadleaf weed killer, uh, weed free zone, weed beater ultra, uh, weed out with nut sedge killer. I mean, they're all mm-hmm. good products. Image. Yeah, and mm-hmm. just try to spray on a day. It's not going to rain typically for 24 hours. Come back in 10 days, two weeks, and spray again. Uh, and make sure that you keep it just in your lawn. Don't get this stuff on your shrubs, your beds, or anywhere else. Had a lady in the garden center yesterday that had broadleaf weeds and Asiatic jasmine, and she was fixing to spray a broadleaf weed killer in there to kill the broadleaf weeds. <laughs> no, no, because it will kill your Asiatic jasmine also. Good thing they came in ass. Yeah, so this yeah. is strictly just for your lawn. Uh, and it does a good job of knocking them out. But then you want to get back and make your lawn as healthy and and have it really conducent for good growth. Mm-hmm. You know, making sure your pH is up where it needs to be, uh, feeding that lawn about every six weeks with a good lawn food. But you can you can recapture your lawn, even mm-hmm. if it's just inundated with broadleaf weeds, because you can sure to kill them with a good right. broadleaf weed killer. And, you know, is when your soil's really healthy, makes thick grass, which is what makes it hard for the weeds to come up. So that's another reason to... You know, just keep keep on your lawn. You really have to work on your lawn like you do a flower bed or a landscape bed. Oh, you can't just forget about it. Right, That's cause, right. Because a lot of people are like, well, I fertilized it twice and I watered it once a week, but it's just not flush and green. You do have to take care of a lawn mm. as well. Okay, we're like Jim and just plant everything, and, and don't, he doesn't have a lawn anymore. That's what I'm like. Eating liking. it away piece by piece. Yes, That's right. Is. Somebody called about that. Um, we've got Bob after the break. We'll be right back. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. That's amazing. Good morning, good morning, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all been able to join us today. Warning, warning, Will Robinson, that will be 35 degrees this week. Well, that's going to change, Jim. Now it'll be snowing. (laughs) It'll change to snow. It won't change to warmness. 35 degrees. And that was, when did you say that? For next Tuesday night? Wednesday Wednesday night. night. I mean, it has to. It has to drop. Yeah, it just, it has to. Even... 
this week when I'm in this panic of, oh my goodness, it's warm. I don't have enough color. We don't have this. We don't have that. And then I said, no, it's going to drop again. It's really Mm going to drop. So let's go to Bob. Good morning, Bob. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning to y'all. Hey, Bob. Um, How do you tell if the bulbs on an elephant ear plant are no longer any good? uh, They look mushy and Mm -hmm. starting to turn white. So these are bulbs that you have dug up from year to year, correct? Uh, I've never dug them up, and that might be one of the problems. So they're, they're in the ground? They're in the ground. And you're seeing them decompose at the top? That's right. Okay. That's that's freezing. About this time of year, yeah. I'll go out and kind of take a rake and scratch, and I can see the little green shoots starting to pop up. Well, right now, they're not doing that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's because they got damaged some from the freeze. But very probably the basal plate, which is at the very bottom of that, is good and viable. We hope. And you're going to have some offshoots from that. But it's probably, it sets it back about 30 days or so. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be concerned not seeing anything until after May 1st. So just kind of leave them alone. Yeah, yeah. See just what leave. Happens. Just leave them alone. Yeah, That's it. and I, you know, I tell people with uh, elephant ear bulbs, Bob, that kind of uh, like caladiums. You know, if you don't dig them up and store them every year, you know, they might come back the next year. They might not. Uh, they typically do, honestly. You know, um, you know, we planted some years ago, and I think they came back for seven or eight years in a row. And then one year, you know, we had a really, really wet winter, and they, you know, wound up finally just rotting. You know. So it's one of those things where most people don't take the time to dig them up. They just leave them in the ground right. and expect them to come Me. back the next mm-hmm. year. Um, but like Jim was saying, you know, if you can have that top part of that bulb actually rot, but you can have a viable bottom part of the bulb that will still sprout out. Okay. Uh, so give it a minute, let that thing, uh, and give it, a, give it a shot and let it come back out. If not, you know, of course, you can always put new ones in the ground. Yeah, that's right. Okay, well, thank you all. Hey, thanks, thanks for, for calling call. this morning. Appreciate the call. So let's see, Jim. Yeah, I have Guinness. some amaryllis that have been in the garden, you know, and I noticed some of the main bulbs mm-hmm. this year are not viable. Right. But I'm fairly certain that I'm going to get some off sprouts. Now, yeah. they may not bloom for a year or two right. or but three. But you still get growth from them. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So on elephant ears, let's let's tell everybody about the right soil because I get this a lot. They've planted the elephant ears that get really big and they haven't done anything really. And then there's some that have big, big yeah. elephant ears that are gorgeous. And I know there's there's some type of light soil situation, but what do you think, Jim, on, on what kind of soil is good for them? Well, I think um, mostly clay, some mm-hmm. coarse stuff like pea gravel or sand, not for drainage, but mm-hmm. for root development. Mm-hmm. Dig your hole wide, mm-hmm. you know, but not much any deeper than the bowl. Um, and put your compost on the top each year yeah. and instead of mixing you know, a lot of compost around the bowl. Mm. That, that, too much organic matter, I think, mm-hmm. encourages rot. Mm. So That's what I was thinking that... Um, it's to do with our soil being a little too tight. Right. 
Yeah. And that's what causes them to, in the coldness, wet, or they get wet and then they rot. So let's make a little, mix a little sand, maybe a little bit of rock, like the shale. Like the soil. Yeah, the shale, yeah. That yeah. Works I've used pea gravel. gravel when I had it. You yeah, know? yeah. So and, that way you can get bigger elephants. And then make sure that you don't plant them upside down. You know, oh, the yeah. The eye goes up. You don't plant them too deep. Except with caladiums. So you actually, if you'll plant those upside down, you'll get a lot more foliage. Isn't that so true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and, and with caladiums, you know, if you don't dig those up, you can't count on those to come back at all. Yeah. Like I said, the elephant eaters, a lot of people will take the time to dig them up. A lot of people don't. Yeah, you know, usually you end up with such a big hole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I, I tell you them. what, in, yeah. in, in elephant ears, you know, we've got a lot of bulbs uh, on hand right now. We'll have, of course, plants later on. But there are so many different varieties of elephant ears now. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's the uh, the venation, you know, it has a lot of the colorful mm-hmm. veins in it. The upright ears that point Loving up. Loving those. The yeah. old elephant ears that point down. And I've got the, the Hawaiian black coral. Exactly, mm-hmm. the purples and the blacks. year after year after year. I mean, and it, it moves around the garden. And, yes. and a lot of people think that elephant ears only grow in the shade. Them things can take all mm-hmm. the sun you want to give them. They'll, they'll grow in filtered sun. High shade. I mean, they'll grow almost anywhere. As long as the ground is not sloppy wet, you can grow elephant ears from bulb or plant. Yeah, and some varieties. Exactly. You can actually grow in water. Exactly. So I knew that's where that was going when Jim stuck that finger up. Because you see those, a lot of people that have aquatic ponds mm-hmm. and so forth you know that's one of the plants they'll sink into the water as a bog plant yeah taro which looks looks you know it's what poi is made from mm-hmm. it just tastes like wallpaper paste that's what i thought and, and the thing <laughs> with uh, and let me say this real quick on uh, uh the caladiums and really the elephant ears typically we'll put those in the ground in the spring but i would like to wait until the nighttime temperatures are 60 degrees or above on a consistent basis yeah, because with caladiums, especially yeah. with caladiums because if you put them in the ground prematurely which we all do we want to mm-hmm. to get a head start uh if that ground temperature is still really cool and, and really wet uh you can have those things start to rot before they actually germinate yeah so we, it's really, did, we did that once out of the highway 64 we planted some in march in pots mm-hmm. to yeah. get them ready and you would think in pots you would be okay but it was so cool suckers didn't sprout yeah. till june right yeah. <laughs> yeah that's another thing to think of too a lot of people get concerned when they go into the garden center and these plants are growing and up but the ones in their yard aren't so they think they're dead right. but it's it's the growers of course are growing them in a warmer Ideal area <clears throat> yeah area so yeah. <laughs> as they get so they're going to be bigger than the ones that are still acclimating to the temperature in the soil. But but a lot of the bulbs, you know, whether it's the, the cannas and the callas and the dahlias mm-hmm. and the begonias and, you know, those uh, type of bulb, the lilies. I mean, most of those you can start putting in the ground any time now. As long as the ground's just not sloppy wet, you can plant those bulbs. Uh, they're really the only one that I'd be a little wary of there again would be the caladiums and maybe even the elephant ears. I'd let those warm, uh, the soil temperatures get a little warmer and then you can get those out yeah. there and put them in the ground. So I wanted to throw out a project for you. Uh, you know, cherry tomatoes, I've had some before Which that's gotten like 12 feet tall before. My son had to climb up on the ladder just to show how big it was, and he was only eight, though, to pick the cherry tomatoes. But what if um, you put an arbor, like an arbor over a walkway, and then grow your cherry tomato beside the arbor and let it grow up 
and over. You can just you gotta plant one on either side, kind of like you would a vine, because mm-hmm. plants don't yeah. like to grow down. Right, right. But they, they when they grow like over there. What do you think, Jim? Mm-hmm. Why don't we? I'm, why don't we do that? Well, I've, you know, personally, I've never had a, a tomato get that tall. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's no reason you couldn't. They, you see this tree tomato advertised a lot. You know, that's like grows 15 feet tall and. And has, you know, 100 pounds yeah. of tomatoes on it, which I think is mostly hype. Right. But, um, yeah, I guess you could. Yeah, because yeah. now think about it. I love grape tomatoes, cherry mm-hmm. tomatoes, but they're not going to get that big, Beta. Yeah, they do. I've got pictures. I want to see it. It was osmosis water, and I'll tell you the rest next week. We'll see you some, in the garden. Have some honey. I'm getting my allergies. <laughs> <laughs>